Our guest today began her journey as a healer when, as a child, she had to protect her younger sisters from bullies. Ever since then, Maria Barrera has had a calling for protecting the vulnerable. And Audra and I have had a first row seat in seeing how she puts this into practice today for children with serious health conditions. Maria began her professional life as a political organizer and activist, but today she's a mom and licensed acupuncturist who specializes in pediatrics. She's also trained in traditional Chinese medicine with our good friend, Dr. Ruth McCarty from episode five. We met Maria while she was working with Ruth in pediatric acupuncture, and Audra and I got to see firsthand how intuitive and connected Maria was with kids and parents who face some pretty challenging diagnoses. Eventually, I had the pleasure of working with Maria on a study with Children's Hospital of Orange County, where we brought childhood cancer families together to receive acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine together in a supportive group environment. It was amazing to see how Maria brought families together and helped children heal and bond. I'll never forget that time. Today, Maria is the founder and owner of Athena Acupuncture and Wellness Center in Whittier, California, and a pediatric acupuncturist at Open My Modalities in Orange, California. She is also secretary of the Board of Trustees for the California Acupuncture and Traditional Medicine Association. And in this episode, we hear some amazing stories about how Maria's childhood led her into a life of service and healing, how she went from political organizing to traditional Chinese medicine, how her cultural heritage influences her approach to healing, and we get her recommendations for how parents can bring more health and healing and thriving into their daily practices. Without further ado, here's our conversation with the amazing Maria Barrera. We got to know you through open open mind modalities, but then I think it was the Ohana project that really kind of connected us together. Do you remember that? I I do. So I remember I started with open mind modalities in, oh my gosh, September of 2018, I believe. So I was going in the office. And I remember seeing you a lot, Justin, because you would go Saturday mornings because mm-hmm. that's when I was going. And I would, oh, I would also go Fridays. That's so true. And I just remember seeing Justin on Saturdays, but seeing right, Audra right. on Fridays. And Audra was just like always so like radiant and vibrant. And I was like, oh my gosh, who is that woman? Like, so I just remember just like being attracted to your energy, Audra. But yes, I think like when we started working together was during the Ohana project. And that's when I just, uh, I remember you presenting, Justin, because I don't think there was like a formal presentation on Ruth's part. It was just like, it all just kind of uh, blended together. Then I learned both of you were married and I was like, oh my gosh, what a wife. <laughs> like, how is this radiant being over here married to this? nerd <laughs> <laughs> no what i loved about you justin is you're just so light your energy's light and happy and always like you know our intellectual conversation uh, yeah you know so i just 
individually thought both of you were amazing humans and then learned you were married. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that was really nice. And honestly, I don't think I've got to say this to both of you because um, we never got to say the goodbye, but you were like such an important part. I mean, you are, but like really such an important part for OMM to really feel like a family to mm. me um, because I'm a practitioner there on Fridays and Saturdays, you know, we work alone and, you know, the staff receptionist, obviously that's my team, but to be able to see your work and be part of it, that's really what made OMM just feel so warm and welcoming to me. So I, I think you both, mm. I, I don't think I forgot to say that. Oh my gosh. Oh, Maria, that's, that's beautiful. Really and likewise, you know, I think that we felt so integrated and it's so much less isolating. You know, when we had our first office that opened in Santa Ana and it was wonderful because families would come in for the broth bank and, and all of that. Um, it still felt like we were a little, we'd, we'd have events, you know, and try to connect in person that way. But once we teamed up with OMM to open that office, we really got to build community around healing. What Maria was talking about with the Open Mind Modalities office in Orange, California, just a couple blocks from Chalk Hospital. And yeah. Axel Project is uh, our nonprofit that we started way back in 2011 when Max was first diagnosed. And it's had different offices over time, but we were lucky enough in what, what year, was it 2017? Yeah, but Ruth and I started working on it in 2016. Easily, it took us well over a year probably to get in there. And that's when um, and we, we moved in. Planned, we co located, yeah, yeah planned, uh, looked at properties, planned to move in together. And we actually committed together to an office space that has a significant group treatment area or waiting room, if you would like. We have an exceptionally large waiting room, it's which beautiful. is yes. very rare for any type of office, right? Because just square footage wise, and in Southern California, it's so expensive. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, uh, you know, to afford that. But because we're doing it together, Maxwell Project and Open Mind Modality supports it every month to make sure that we have an area. We have beautiful, we have a reading nook. We have an area for kids to do their homework. We have all kinds of opportunities for families to sit on the couches together and to get treatment together. So it's a really, really beautiful space and something that is completely unusual. And Maria, we had, we spoke with Ruth on the show recently, and we were talking about that magic of chi, really that power of this energy and how it, it was a realization for me that in group treatment, that is so much of what's happening is this chi energy, this, this life force that is shared among everyone in the space as you're nurturing and supporting chi with acupuncture and tra traditional Chinese medicine modalities. It's also through the group environment. It's really beautiful. And it's the biggest hole that I've seen in what we've done with COVID, having to empty out that space that we, we've committed to and not use it for the past year. Yeah. It's been hard. Yeah. I think it's, I think, um, you know, as I, as we were like laughing a lot, like a minute ago and like tea, like my eyes got filled with, with tears. There were happy tears, but I also feel that 
that also happened right at this moment too, because I feel safe with both of you. And, and as a practitioner, I think a lot of practitioners right now are people that are caretaking, you know, the health of others. Like it's, it's really been, di- it's, it's been difficult. There's so much grieving happening. Mm. Um, we're in a mass grieving time. And so people are coming in so heavy. And so you, you know, like you were t- mentioning about the chi, like as soon as that person comes into the room and they start talking, I'm just feeling it like I'm feeling either the sorrow or the grief or or kind of that mixed emotion. I don't know what I'm feeling or why I'm feeling it. So I think the tears right now are just when you come into safe spaces, right? Like yeah. the Ohana project, when we were in the, in, in the waiting area, there there's something so powerful about collective healing, right? Yes. Just just as we're having a collective grieving right now so i i I think that's the part that i I also feel that emptiness like we're all hurting so much and it's so difficult to to then not come together and process it together so i think even just doing what we're doing right now just talking to each other in this you know intentional space i I think that's also part of just what we need to do like as a family or as any kind of collective just talk about how you're actually like feeling and processing and then laugh together and so i think um that that's why the ohana project when we did that spoke so much to me because I think both of you know I was a community organizer before I was an acupuncturist and so I was a community organizer for immigrant rights specifically for like undocumented um, young people and, and older and when we would have what we call these membership meetings, where we talk about political updates and how to take action, but we would also talk about like, what does it feel like to be undocumented? Like, what are you going through? And there was nothing like that sharing of stories together. And at the end of the meetings, we would do different things. Sometimes like we would hold hands and chant together. Wow. Um, and, and that was so powerful. So when it tied back, you know, now as an acupuncturist, and I actually made that, that decision to go from kind of being macro impact, right? I would talk to hundreds, even thousands of people. I decided to switch to kind of like heal one person at a time. And and that's what I, how it started, but I feel like the evolution, what's happening again, naturally in my life (laughs) is it's, I'm going back. I'm going back to macro, but I think that's just part of like, what is set for me in my life. Like it's always about the macro and the, you know, and just like the bigger impact, but Ohana was one of those uh, moments that reminded me like, yes, the collective healing is the most powerful healing. So for listeners, just to give them a little bit of context on what the Ohana project was. So we partnered with Chalk Hospital to do a pilot study because we wanted to see, well, to take one further step back, we saw the things that Maria is talking about with families coming together in the same space in this waiting room, which is you know much bigger than just a normal waiting room where families could be treated together. And there was so much, there was so much love and healing and sharing and support Power. that would go on yeah. in this space. And so we wanted to know, how can we super boost this by also doing things like cooking classes and having an online component? And so we came up with this idea of the Ohana Project, which is really about, can we put together something where families can heal together and not just one time during during the week, but can can we keep them together online? Can we bring them back to do yoga and 
cooking and, uh, you know, really heal together as a community. And it was a beautiful project. It was a pilot project that we were hoping to learn from. And we have, and we took a lot of the things that we learned there to build an app that has helped families during COVID. But gosh, we cannot wait for this COVID thing to be done so we can all come back together and 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 have that yeah. face-to-face component I just, as well. I just want to add that that if anyone's interested, that study was published. Yes. And it is uh, housed online at maxlerproject.org. The if link you go to, to the original Google research. Scholar and yeah. Google Ohana Project and Wilford, because I'm the first author on the study, then it'll okay. pop up and it's open access. And you there can you go. Read all about it. But it was during that time, Maria, speaking of this in your history and your story, that is so just amazing. And it just fills me with so much joy and hope. And I don't know, it has filled my cup continually to get to know you. And I remember we were at OJ's birthday party. Yes, oh, I remember that. Talk yeah. too. Oh, I learned and so much I, about you. We just you. could not stop talking, and I felt the same way when I met you. I was like, "Who is this beautiful, radiant, free?" I I, I remember thinking, "She's so free, this free spirited healer," and she's deep and free at the same time. Like it's just a wonderful presence, and you know, I remember thinking because there's so much just in that 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 is is who you were that you you know decided one day to become a healer um, in this modality tradition. And that's what you did. And getting to know you, I'm like, this woman has lived many lives in this lifetime. It's <laughs> so incredible. Can, so can you tell us, tell us your story. I mean, tell us how, how things started out for you. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that we were that, you know, when I was like filling out the the paperwork, one of the questions was like, when did you realize you were a healer? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm only referencing that, too, because it takes me back to being nine years old, I guess. And I shared in the story that at nine years old or it was the 11. I don't remember. I found myself having to stand up to these two bullies. And I just like stand up, like speak my voice. Like <laughs> I had to, I had to mm-hmm. beat them up. Mm. And that's the only fight I've ever been in, my <laughs> in your entire life. Okay. So this is where, how I knew the healing part. I think the connection is because I, experienced hardship my heart has always been with anybody that's experiencing hardship like that feels just like a very high priority to me let's say there was like 10 people in the room and and i know something or get a hint of somebody that you know i'll automatically feel like attracted or like i want to talk to that person more so i was born in mexico in jalisco so like you know where you get tequila and yeah (laughs) and mariachi and uh, (laughs) i would also say it's also kind of a privilege because we're a dominant community here in Southern California. You you see Mexican Jalisco culture everywhere. So, so we're very much affirmed in our culture. Anyhow, so I came to the United States when I was six years old. And of course, like, you know, we didn't have much. So we moved in with my aunt into her garage, like her actual garage just converted into a house or a little room. And it was four girls. And by this time, it was four of us and my parents. So we didn't have a bathroom in there. So we had to like consistently knock and be like, hey, can I come in? And so I had 
two older cousins, like three years older. And so there was this kind of like shaming on their part toward us, towards the, the daughters. Mm. Right. And there was four of us and I'm the oldest. And so this went on over a long period of time for years. And I just think one of the times it was just like, it was just too much. They were not only calling my little sister's name, they ended up spitting out my, I think my little sister, like two of them, I was enraged. So I just chased both of them like down the street, like running hard. I don't even know how I ended up, but like basically the story in my memory ends. Like I have... (laughs) I'm not proud of the violence. <laughs> Basically, I have them both with like my hands like cramped mm. into their hair like this. Like, yeah. I don't know how to describe that. Like gripping the back of their hair, like by their neck. And they're like on their knees on the side of me. And so my aunt comes out. She's like, well, you know, let him go. And I didn't. I remember I stayed there for like a good hour until my mom got home. Oh <laughs> She's like, goodness. let them go. And I did. And I think that's also like one of the things that this time and space is teaching all of us is that that things are not black and white and that one thing doesn't negate the other. And so although this moment of like, it was like violence and fury, it really reaffirmed like I am a keeper of my sisters, which then really tied into like, then I talked to them about what happened and I would, so then just really tied into like, I'm, I'm also their healer. Can you go into that talk that you had with your sisters? I just said, like, whatever people tell you about you, that's not who you are. You are who you say you are. It was so important to me to reaffirm that, to just remind them that one, we don't have to put up with people basically just abusing you, you know, and that then you don't internalize that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But to have that wisdom at 11 or nine, (laughs) I know. Where did you get it? Like, (laughs) I know. I don't, but I think it's again because I would see. I would see my parents leave like at four in the morning because they had to catch the bus and they're tired and they'd be like, okay, I left this, you know, make sure you like, I don't even know how to explain it because it's also not a fair thing. You know, like, I don't, I think we keep romanticizing like hard work and sacrifice. And I feel like I don't like that because it's cost people their lives. Like, especially right now in COVID in California or Southern California, it's like, the Latino community, like the working class is the one that has been mostly affected and not just like affected. It's like deaths, like people, like it's the highest rate of death is in the Latino community because of COVID. And it's because of that, because the overwork and the keep going, even though you're tired, I just think I was a kid that observed that and then just connected to what Audrey said. Like I've been, I've lived a lot of lives. So it was like inherent there and it woke up really, really early. I also connected to like realizing when I was undocumented. So that's when I was 11 too. I was in fifth grade and it was like Proposition 187 was trying to pass in California by Governor Pete Wilson, the fact that I even remember the governor and it was the time where they were trying to pass. I think it was a proposition, a statewide proposition to take all kind of public services with an urgent care hospital, uh, primary education for anybody who was undocumented. And I remember as a fifth grader, just imagining the principal calling my name on their intercom, coming to get me from my classroom and walking me to the office and 
everybody watching me. Like that was what played mm. in my mind. Like, oh my gosh, everybody's going to know I'm undocumented. So I feel like all those things layered with whatever wisdom I was already born with, just it was the alchemy, right? Like, oh, I need to do something. Maria, it also strikes me, or I'm curious around this, that your cousins, the bullies, mm-hmm. is is it fair to say that they had pretty thoroughly internalized the racism and the narratives that were directed towards them and your family? I think it was not racism, but the classism, classism. right? Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, they're poor mm-hmm. and they're living in our garage. Right. And as a child, you you always unless you're directed, a difference is something you exploit unless you give it a direction like, hey, we don't say things about people's hair like everybody's different. Um, I just think, you know, again, working class parents on their end, they're not around either. What I was thinking was that, you know, if these kids and this family, your aunt uh, family likely in Southern California, was it? Mm-hmm. Is it yeah, yeah. Uh, likely, yeah. you know, saw this in some way too. So if, if it's not a, you know, if it's something that you don't have someone like you in your life to help you understand, like you do with your sisters and to help you work through this onslaught that's directed at you mm-hmm. that you would internalize. And very often in that internalization is also the acting out, not justifying at all, but just looking at that dynamic like space that you're in as you're developing your activism, you're in a home like with family that has surely been affected by these narratives and these messages. Mm -hmm. And you are the more recent immigrants coming mm-hmm. in and then this aggression and violence mm-hmm. is directed towards you, you know, sort of as that in that flow and you come on board as an activism and you're addressing some of the root causes of all of it. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's a hundred percent correct. That the recent immigrant and just like a lot of bullies, like they don't feel good about themselves. So they, you know, beat up on other people and that's what makes them feel good about themselves. I hadn't really inserted that before in my, as I, you know, my analysis of that, but that makes sense. The narratives that they had basically absorbed on like what a new immigrant to this country means. How is your relationship with them today? (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) It's so funny because, and I think this is telling of healing. Like it takes years and literally like a week ago, (laughs) all putting them on blast. So sorry. (laughs) 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 One of them actually reached out to my sister and wrote her just like a text, like, I'm sorry for the way I behaved. When we were oh. Yeah. And yeah, it's beautiful. Like, I just feel like I, I there's I'm, always I'm, healing and it takes a long time. Right. Cause we're talking about 10 and now we're all in our thirties. So we're talking about 20 something years. I think one of the things that I love about acupuncture, the fact that I'm a healer in, in a position like this is that I keep, I keep telling people my patients are just 
you know, because I'm in this position that healing doesn't have to take that long. And we don't have to hold on to things for years, like 20 years. Like that, that is a drain of our energy. That's a drain of our chi. And we're in again in a time of space with like all the movement that's happening in the world and our paradigms being shifted. Like now we talk about death consistently, right? Because people are passing. Just remembering that you don't have to hold on to pain like this for this long. Like healing could happen faster and not that fast is good but rather you being a healed person is good mm. and so the the sooner you're able to get yeah. there the happier and lighter mm. you'll be mm, that's good. and and maria it sounds like you did not hang on to all of that that you endured with your cousins it, it sounds like i mean you returned from from that experience you you kind of took some you took the power back of it you know you expressed yourself and you went home and you coached your sister but it doesn't sound like you hung on to this like how did you how did you know to do that or what was your healing response like as as a as a kid I think, <laughs> I don't think it was that I didn't hang on to it. I think it was like, I was then really busy with all the other challenges. Like yeah. in fifth grade, I went from, oh, bilingual education, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a distinction, right? Bilingual education is you lo- you use your primary language to learn the second language. Right. English as a second language has been treated more of like, you have some kind of impairment in your learning because you don't know English. But anyway, at that school I went to, I was lucky I was in bilingual education. And then fifth grade was when I was transitioned into complete English classes. Anyway, so in fifth grade was when I was making my, you know, the immigrant experience, what we call it is like, you're trying to immerse yourself now fully in the, in the culture. So when my sister was not doing that, I kept kind of like, like shunning her. Like she would try to talk to me in the playground and I was like, Hey, go away. So then I became a bully to her. The assimilation as it's understood here in the States is basically you strip yourself from your culture right? and anything associated, whether it's clothes, whether it's language, whether it's food, and then you, you become American or you're trying to become American. <laughs> and it's so funny. My fifth grade teacher was a super like American white woman. Her name was Miss Smith. And she would make, <laughs> you know, how you have to say the flag every day. Yeah. Well, she would not just make us do the pledge of allegiance every day. We would sing, like a patriotic song with it. Oh gosh. So, so I literally know the United States, the United States. <laughs> I love my country, the United States, Alabama. And then oh my like gosh. The whole I can imagine. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. So it was clear to me as a kid, like I made it. I need to stick with this. Whoever's trying to hold me back is not going to, even if oh, it's my wow. sister. So, you know how we talk about the healing. So like, even to this day, like I tell my sister, I'm so sorry. And she's like, dude, I, I already said this, like, it's okay. Like, but like you as the perpetrator, it's now until now, again, I'm 36 that I kind of feel like fully resolved with, with what I did. But when you hurt somebody like that, but you're a kid, it's a, you don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like I was trying to be mean on purpose. I was like surviving mm, to be accepted by this yep. new crew, you know? Yep. Oh, so Maria, I, I, I want to transition into acupuncture now. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we got an idea for what kind of the, the, the first sparks of this healing journey or this journey to become a healer for you was. 
So when did acupuncture come on the scene? When did this as a specific modality, traditional Chinese medicine, become something that you knew was going to be your way in to actually touching people's And lives? Maria, if you need to dip into the uh, lifetime that is between this child, this fifth grade assimilation and get into your organizing. And I think you also had some spiritual work in between that to get to the answer to this question. Feel free to go there. Yeah. So leading up to how I even came across acupuncture, which really I should just say I stumbled upon. Okay, it. that's great. Yeah. <laughs> you were not searching for it. It just kind of yeah. hit you out of, out of left field. Yeah, yeah. I literally, literally did that. So after organizing for like six years, but being active for like 10 years, because I became active when I was 17. Yeah. Again, the undocumented piece, I needed to take action. I got involved with Trilla as a like student a high school student activist. But I, you know, it was not even that I was an activist. Like the only reason why I went to that initial meeting was because I, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I couldn't get financial aid and my college advisor couldn't really help me because at the time there really wasn't anything. There, there's there weren't no tools. There's no California right. Dream Act. There's no DACA. We're talking about like 2000. Yeah. The year 2000. So we're still like undocumented young people we're right. still following our parents' behavior, which is hide, don't cause a ruckus, like don't draw attention to yourself. So anyway, I I talked to my college advisor. I mean, I was I was like a 4.2 honors AP, you know, marching band, you know, a kind of profile. And my college advisor was like, yeah, that's great. Like, you'll do great. And I was like, oh, but I'm undocumented. Like, I felt trusty enough to tell her. She was wonderful, Miss Hawk. I love you so much. <laughs> like, oh, she was wonderful. But that was like outside of her expertise. So that's when I was like, how do I, I need to do something. Anyway, I got a hold of this organization called Chirla, the Coalition for Human Immigrant Rights of LA. And the only reason why I went to the meeting was because the guy said, oh, yeah. And we have scholarships. Oh, so I, was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, of course. You, mommy? but in that meeting, they were talking about legislation called AB 540. And they were asking asking if somebody could speak at the press conference and share their testimony. And one thing that I've always done in my life is kind of follow what my body feels. And so I remember feeling that like butterfly, like belly heat, you know, and I was like, well, like, I just like, I don't even, you know, I just, my, my hand raised almost automatically. I mean, I, from then on, I became one of the poster children for that campaign. And, I say this kind of when I say this story, but like, I probably cried most of the time during the press conference. <laughs> like I would speak, but then just like the pain of like, I'm just a young person trying to go to college. Like, why do I have to do all of this? Like, why do I have to display my pain to make, to convince you? But it was that display that was so powerful. I mean, that you were able to go there was yeah, probably so see, powerful. But now we're like so much more progressive and advanced in that yes. we're even as undocumented people or just people who, who don't fit the cookie cutter is like, why do I have to be in pain and consistently try yeah. to convince you of my humanity, right. my, right. my inherent, you know, right to life, happiness, you know, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, yes. During that time, it was appropriate. And exactly what you're saying, Justin, during that time, that's really what made it impactful. Like when I, ha when I testified in front of like, I think it was the Senate education committee. Again, I cried. I could help it i had like 
the senators like they're crying because here's this little 17 year old Mexican girl crying. Obviously, that experience changed my life. And so I went to UC Davis, started uh, the first undocumented support group there. But again, it wasn't political for me. It was like I brought these people together because I wanted to hear them because I wanted us to heal together. Mm -hmm. So just like there's seeds each time of just like healing. So I actually became a Christian during college. I was the Bible study leader. So I like held Bible study group uh, Bible study every week. So I would use the scripture and then gather people. And then through the scripture, we would heal. So what I've learned in my experience is that anything is a tool for healing and, mm. and not to diminish, you know, Jesus or Christianity, like anything could be it. You can, it could be over food or it could be over a sport. Like anything could be that inspiration, right. To heal. And then after that, that's when I started with Chirla. So again, political activist, like this is, this was the time that I was my full-time job. Like this is what I did a day in, day out. But even during that, I developed this just different workshops. One of them that they still use now, which is like 10 years later. And it was, it's called unraveling the undocumented identity. So it was like an hour and a half workshop to like guide people through, you know, first thinking about it critically. And I can't remember right now, but I said, undocumented uh i made it a definition i put it is a forced identity by a government to disenfranchise innocent power a group of people so it's just like a made-up right. i mean if you think about right. it it's a made-up identity so that's when i learned my my healing powers even more because i did it in a group and so after it was completely burnt out I don't know. I was what attracted me to acupuncture. Okay. To be a hundred percent transparent was the esoteric part of it was the energetic part. It was like, Oh, the chi. Oh, I have points, energy points in my body that I can't touch, but can do something for me or really the Tao. The Tao is, is the approach that we are like body, mind and spirit and that we consistently have to be in balance with nature which you know right before that i had started to go to sweat lodges consistently and again i was blessed to be able to have that and so learning about what the spirituality of first nation people in this case the lakota um and so it kind of like just all connected really beautifully so it attracted me for the the energetic part but like now maybe that i'm a practitioner after four years i'm going back to the energetic part because the first four years it's all because we're in a western dominated medicine country which is great western medicine i mean you both know firsthand what western medicine can do you know you have to have to be very linear like learn this diagnosis and like that but now it's i'm able to bridge back a little even more around like the energy part of like hey the food you eat is energy like it's that you got to set an intention and your body and your chi you gotta you gotta basically like Athena and I, and, and you, you know, my daughter, Athena and I consistently like use um, sage to cleanse our energy, like to cleanse the chi because, you know, the energy part, we don't talk about a lot, but it's really part of our daily existence. The thing that sticks out in my mind is, is you described like an energy in your belly when you, when, mm-hmm. when, when you went to the first organizing meeting. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder, like just feeling these kind of big 
energetic surges within you. Is that what clicked when you heard about Chi and when you heard about acupuncture? Like, oh, like, like that explains this. Why do you say that, Justin? Because the what clicked for me of like, oh, this is the medicine I want to be was when I was I got my first treatment and I was laying face up and I had gone because I wanted to work on regulating my menstrual cycle. So you're it's so crazy. You're tying it in because he did belly points on me and that's what I felt like I felt the chi moving in my belly yeah. like and I was like oh my god like yeah. this is so real <laughs> that's yes that's awesome yes a hundred percent yes I couldn't believe that 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 like well that was so because so, he did the needles he was really handsome too, by the way. <laughs> Maybe that's, that was the energy going on, yeah. At the time, um, you know, I was married and, and I came home and, and I told my husband at the time the story. He's like, Who's this dude? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I could tell by you're talking about him. But anyway, so it wasn't just the cute part. Anybody who gets acu- acupuncture treatment, you're going to feel this. Like, we'll do the needles and you'll begin to like, because this is my first time that I'm describing. So you don't know what you feel. But as you lay there, like, I just felt like these swirls in my belly, like in each point that he had done, I felt these swirls and I was like, oh man, like this is real, like this is it. So that that's when I came, became 100% committed mm. to becoming a traditional acupuncturist, a, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner and acupuncturist. That's awesome. Maria, this is so beautiful. I have to say, I kept getting these visuals as you were telling this story of of your your beautiful energy, you sharing this beautiful energy with everyone around you. And what really impacted me too in this is how identity for you, you have this assigned identity that this society and culture has placed on you and again and again and again, and how you have had the critical distance and that core soul, like who you are, that is completely tied with this energy that has been just such a secure part of your knowing throughout your life has allowed you to have a critical distance to say, that's a point of identity that's not mine or doesn't need to be mine, or I can take that on if I want, but I don't have to. And because I feel like so many people are like, oh, those sorts of people do that, right? Those mm-hmm. sorts of people go to Chinese medicine or those sorts of people do this thing or though, and I'm this sort of person. And we keep mm-hmm. ourselves from experiencing so much in the world sometimes because we don't see ourselves as the sort of people who go and do these other things, right? You are able to follow your, your soul in that energetic flow. And your spirit to where you needed to go next and where you were being called next. And it just really impacted me. It was like, I could almost see it as you were describing it. Yeah. I actually love that you're saying that because you're right. Like, does a Latina become a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner? You know, and no, like that's not something that 
but it, it actually just flowed and made so much sense for me because it was healing. It, it was healing for me to be reaffirmed in the things that my grandma used to do or my mom does to like tell me to drink a certain tea usually juxtaposed like to no you should take this medication the medication gets like this higher value and and right, and, and right uh, yeah and, and then it was like so the cinnamon does help and that was one of the things when i was applying to acupuncture school like they asked me like why do you want to you know you have to fill out an essay i was like oh that's right like every time i'm getting sick uh, my mom would make canela, you know, mm -hmm. cinnamon sticks tea, and it would help me feel better. And so come to the pharma pharmacology book in TCM, which is like six inches thick. Um, they have like 10 pages on cinnamon, like mm -hmm. the properties where it goes to when it, what dynasty it was used in, like uh, the case studies. And it just reaffirmed that piece of like, yeah, our knowledge is true and real. It just, you know, because we were a country that was conquered because of our own inherent, like, I don't know, civilization weaknesses like the Aztecs, right? They were infighting. So then come the Spanish and it was just like the perfect moment for them to take over and the Aztec civilization. But like, we've always been a very rich country culturally, like in, in every way. And women, right? There's a lot of like, like I could think of my grandma or, or that maybe we're like, oh, that's just weird. Like, why are you like, why do you say that works? Or are you drinking that? Like, I feel like every time I'm able to tell somebody confidently because I have this white coat or like this degree and they believe me, they're like, okay, yeah, you know what you're talking about. I almost feel like I see my grandma smiling. Oh, it's know? beautiful. Like, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. like, and that's been, a, yeah, as of recent, actually, because so many times like traditional healers in, in a lot of countries, especially women are, are shunned as crazy right. or like the right. witch or, or whatever. And that's what I love about uh, traditional Chinese medicine, which again, now we're like pushing or like the movement is to call it Eastern medicine or traditional Asian medicine. It just, it was able to package it in such a way where it's not just a claim, like they have the pharmacology and the diagnosis and, and basically how to explain to somebody outside of just like, well, my grandma has been using it for, you know, 60 years and it works. So it's, it's been a very uh, wonderful and healing journey. And everything I'm telling you is so recent. Like I'm talking about this word of like healing, like literally it's happening in the last like six months. Mm. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, Because I feel like now I'm in a place as a practitioner where I'm, I feel like really comfortable with the medicine. I'm able to, you know, when you're learning a craft or an art, yes. like you're, you're, you're following, yes. you know, diligently. I feel like now I'm able to kind of be a little bit more creative especially with with covid acupuncture and herbs can help treat symptoms of covid it's been really wonderful to kind of like go back to my books and and remember like what herbs are for what and because and now it's more about like talking about customized formulas because that's the strength of of tcm for when it treats symptoms of covid we're going by what the virus is doing to you versus kind of like a, a blanketed, you know, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. like a, huh, like a same approach to everybody. But I love that I am a TCM practitioner in Southern California and I'm, I'm a Latina 
because I feel like it's helping reaffirm a lot of the things that my culture already knows about herbs and like healthy eating or just like things like don't step on the floor if it's cold, like don't expose your back if there's wind, like in TCM, it like has that in so many of our books. You were telling me like not to drink um, cold water, like in the office, you're like, don't drink the cold water, (laughs) which I I had nothing. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. So like it, the, the whole, the whole thought behind it is you want to have your body to be at homeostasis, right? And so our bodies are at 98, you know, 98.6, 9.7. Um, so you always want to have your body to be at that opt, uh, of that temperature. Cause that's like the optimal environment for circulation, digestion. And obviously there's exceptions in the sense, like if you're a woman who's in menopause, like you're going to get hot flashes. So you're going to want to, or like, you know, like, um, children or or people after chemotherapy, they get so hot that, you know, they want to feel something. You're balancing at that point, right? Yeah, Yeah. you're balancing. And then that's when you also have to be sensitive as a practitioner. Like you can't just be so, you know, hardline. So most of the things we're saying, it's like a general like principles to follow. Um, But yeah, and then my mom would tell me that all the time. Don't drink, especially if you're on your period, don't drink cold stuff because the cold can enter, you know? And then now there's an actual, there's an actual diagnosis in TCM in our books. There's, there's an explanation. There's a formula for it that's called cold entering the blood chamber, which means cold entering the womb. It's so pragmatic. It's so like, this is a symptom. These are the herbs. This is how you heal it, you know? So you're finding these natural synergies and shared knowledge between TCM and your cultural heritage background, the things that your mother and grandmother was talking about. Are you finding that now that you're in that flow of your own practice, you're getting more creative? Like you said, are you able to bring your cultural heritage into your practice? Is that something that you kind of naturally do? Is it a point of conversation with some of your clients? Like what, what is that like for you? Yeah, I think it's more of a point of conversation with the clients because I'll hear them say, Oh, I thought that was always like a myth. Like my grandma would always tell me that. Really? And I was like, no, it's not. Like one of the things I want to do is well, one, go to China and be there immersed again. I didn't have the chance to while I was studying because I was a new mom, but also go to Mexico to to learn like what are the traditional herbs there outside of kind of like these like like um other connections, you know, like I said, the cinnamon or the ginger, stuff like that. Because I think that'll be like, that'll be when it's actually customized to more like Mexican specific or not just Mexican, but like Latino America type. Mm, like, absolutely. What are the plants that are native there? But then it, it goes, it goes the same way. Like what are the plants that are native here? So like when I talk to herbalists here, they know a lot about the native plant. And I'm like, I don't know that. Like I'll, what I know is what I specialized in was Chinese herbs. So I just know Chinese herbs. And so sometimes it surprises me. Well, for example, boha, right? That's how you say it in Pinyin Chinese. And it's like, oh, that's mint. You know what I'm saying? So an herbalist knows mint right off the bat. And I'm like, because one of the questions Justin asked that, that I, I thought was interesting was like, what are you working on? Or like, what do you want to accomplish? I think that's one of the things that as now I'm in a, like a different space with the medicine, uh, I do want to tie in learning more about like the native plants where I am. 
yeah. right? Southern California. And then long-term, actually going to Mexico and being able to learn some of the more healing practices there because it's just so expansive, just the same way. Like one of the things that like Mexican culture teaches is like this thing called sustos, which means fright, which means like some experiences cause your kind of your spirit or your soul to leave your body. So you're going on every day like living and behaving, but something scared you to the point where you're, you're like, and, and this can be compared in psychology to some extent, like the child self, right? Where like right. you've left the child the parts, self. Right. Parts, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah parts, parts. parts. Yeah. And then you, br- exactly. And you bring, so there's like ceremonies to call back, mm. you know, the soul. The to, exiled to parts. Yeah. To <laughs> entice it back to enter now that it's safe. Oh, and so those kinds of like, because a lot of no, people that's amazing. come to me about like anxiety or they feel like I feel absent in my body. Like, like that's a description I hear a lot. And so like being able to like maybe tell them, I wouldn't tell it to everybody. Cause again, I have to play and Ruth knows this better than anybody. Right. Cause she's in the hospital. You have to play this balance where like, you don't talk a lot about spirit or energy when, when you're doing a, talking to somebody who came to you with a strictly Western diagnosis and they're just like here, fix my back. So, you know, you don't talk, right. you don't right. bring right. all this other stuff, but like with the other patients that are like more intrigued there, then I can say things like that and would love to bring back some of the knowledge um, from Mexican healers. So Maria, you mentioned your grandmother and your mother. And to me, I sense this like lineage, this like connection to the lineage. And so when you became a mother or you are a mother now, is there a specific way that you being a mom, you being a mother has influenced how you approach medicine, healing, this whole world that you work in? One of the very traditional things Mexican culture teaches you, and and it was actually kind of to a fault, like so postpartum being indoors for 30 days was and has been a big teaching. Sometimes it went like too extreme, like like I've talked to like older women who are like in their 60s where like so like the mother to the daughter that gave birth didn't let her shower for 30 days because of the cold, because of the water. But anyway, so it could be a little bit extreme. But one of the things that I 100% followed instruction on was that like my mom's like, okay, make sure you're resting 30 days. And so, and and because of TCM, like TCM backed it up. Again, going back to the cold entering the blood chamber type of approach, you're basically very vulnerable. Like your bones literally expanded. So there's a lot of space in between. So cold and pathogens and wind and all of that can enter. So I made sure that I didn't do anything for, and again, that's a privilege, right? I didn't have to work. Um, My partner took care of me, like all of that. So anyway, I did, I did want to mention how like a practice then was affirmed by TCM. And then that's also why I followed it. And because I have the, I had the privilege of being able to follow it. Being trained by a pediatric acupuncturist, because I was a mom, I was I became inclined to learn about kids, right? Because I wanted to know. So I think but the, the mere like 
the mere fact that I was a mom automatically, or I became a mom, uh, attracted me to pediatrics, right? Because then I wanted to know how to help my own kid. You know? Yeah, right. Because I knew the medicine, but not like customized to a kid that like, you know, I think we took one class, if that. One of the things that I love about TCM and children is that I could see how fast the chi moves. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So like, let's say they have a bellyache or a pain with children. The approach is that, you know, you, you balance it out, right? Like needles are kind of, you know, very, can be very um, invasive. So anyway, so we do acupressure with essential oils, right? So I can tell you every single time. So I'll put the essential oil on my finger and then place it on the acupuncture point, And I can feel the chi under my fingers moving. And so once I stop, once I feel the chi stop, then I know it's time. I already did it. And that could be in 30 seconds to a minute. And so, and I noticed that mostly always in children, I don't know if it's maybe because I do acupressure more on children or, or when I do the cupping, mm-hmm. when I do like the flash cupping, I can feel, so, so children have high chi, right? They, they're active. So their chi is like constantly moving fast. And so when I'm doing the flash cupping, it's like, I'm moving that chi, pulling any of that excess chi out so that they can feel calm. And so um, one of the things that's that's one of the things I just love about TCM that it's so flexible and that we have so many modalities like, oh, they don't want acupressure. Okay, what about moxibestion? Oh, they don't want, you know, oh, they don't they're scared of the fire and the mugwort. Okay, so then let's do the combing. And so I just love how versatile it is and how I can just really modify it per child. And I think like connected back to, you know, Max Love or or just like children who are experiencing cancer and cancer therapy, I feel, I don't know if it's because they're filling my cup really because I leave feeling so full, but like I also see how the points or just the treatment I'm doing helps them fill back up because a lot of the children who are oncology patients, they are forced for their body to be deficient, right? Especially when they're doing chemo. Right. Right. Because it's it, it's basically a toxin, right? So mm-hmm. so it's like we're trying to kill the bad guy, but we're killing good guys too. So a lot of the time, I just see how full, like like after treatment, mm-hmm. you know, like just this past Saturday with a four year old, you know, patient, and it's been like I think we're on treatment six, him and I. So finally, he's more comfortable, and um, he was on his phone. He doesn't like moxibustion, like he's scared of the fire, but we were able to like position him position him where he was like on his belly on his phone and so i was able to do like uh acupuncture point by the ankles which is a kidney point because we want to strengthen the kidneys and tcm like the kidneys are responsible for the essence like the longevity so anyway as i'm doing the moxibustion i and just seeing his like i it's almost like i just see the energy like lift back up so that literally just happened yesterday and that consistently happened so i've been really blessed to have Ruth like guide me and Dr. Ruth guide me and teach me because now it's like now I'm flying like Mm. now I just feel so comfortable uh, with children and I'm able to just be just like the medicine I'm able to be really versatile and flexible in order to to help them you know in the best way that I that I can or, or know how. And they sense that. Oh, yeah. They love you too. Oh, yeah. You know, they feel immediately comfortable with you. But I do think when I when I hear you hear hear you talking and and for our listeners who 
will be more attuned in this way. I think one thing that's amazing is that you are referring to the pharmacology book in traditional Chinese medicine. This is an evidence-based approach that goes back over 3,000 years in China that you're just seeing backed up by this various forms of indigenous knowledge and things that are passed down generation after generation. And then what you're speaking of too is an intuitive knowledge. It, it occurs to me, like Maria, it sounds like you see the energy. You you just know. You feel it. You feel it in your touch. You have your knowing. You're an energy healer. You're an energy worker, and it's a, it's it's really it comes through so powerfully in how you followed where the energy is needing care and different modalities for this. I think it's just so amazing. So I love to know. Today, what is this is Justin's wording. I love it. What is the edge of your personal thriving journey for you right now? Like, what are you working on right now? You mentioned the goals that you have, which almost remind me of like a, a shaman journey. Like, I, I love hearing about it. But what's your personal thriving journey's edge today? Because I've known you in, in an intimate and feel in a safe space, like this whole energy stuff, like I don't, I haven't talked about it and I haven't articulated in such a way. Like it's really like everything is so recent. Like, so like the grand, like my grandmother, like me bringing her up a lot. That's, that's, that's literally because I had a dream of her like two weeks ago and mm. it was so vivid and like, or just like the energy part. Like I hadn't actually articulated that that's what I do. I've heard Ruth kind of talk about it, but I've never associated and said, that's what I see or that's how I feel. It's powerful. Like until, until I'm talking to both of you. So, so, so I feel like, yeah, so I really do want to mm. acknowledge that only because it it is a very, like, it's a very special thing in that sense that it's like my first time like mm. owning that or owning that. it wow Especially in regards to 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 the approach with with children like being able to like yeah i i, I do feel that like i i feel their cup and again i was thinking maybe it's the whole thing i feel filled up right because you feel so gratified yeah so a lot of the things that are coming up or i'm saying is so like right now in the moment as like self epiphanies that's important acknowledgement. I think and I'm really, really glad that you brought that up and just kind of um, so that we can hold the space for that. Um, it's something that I have incredible awe and appreciation for Maria. And I just kept getting these feelings and visuals. And it's like I, I could see and feel and hear what you were saying. It's kind of like a form of an awakening, I guess. And I have a number of friends who are in various spaces in energy work and healing as well, who have not had paths, anything like yours, but it feels like a similar sort of journey. And it's one that I really appreciate. And it is, it is like a calling, however it is that you want to put it or whatever words you want to use or anybody would want to use, you know, religious or not. It is, and also, that is calling. You know, you. we, we feel more comfortable with this language now uh, than I feel like we have in the past. And part of it is our own journey. So Absolutely. the Family Thrive is all about expertise. And so we have Western medical doctors, we have dietitians, we have clinical psychology, and we we have we have all of all of these Western credentialed experts on, but we also, in the spirit of truly integrative medicine, we also have people who uh, have expertise in this other realm of, of you know, there, that there's, there are, there's flowing energy and, and this flowing energy can be blocked. And 
you know, we can openly talk about it. Let's talk about what this experience is, is actually like. And so yeah. you're on here because you're an expert. Not only have you been trained in a modality that Western medicine does recognize, right? Acupuncture is recognized to help with things like pain and nausea, you know, but then there's this other part. And I think you, I love the word that you use um, esoteric, you know, this like esoteric part, but there is, there is nothing wrong with opening up to this part and saying like, there's an energetic flow here and let's talk about it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Talking to Jenny Walters this week um, on on this show and Dr. Ruth as well, the theme was right there. So Jenny found her way to basically psychotherapy, right? And then her her continued work growing as a, a therapist with energy work and energy healing. That's really important to her, but in a similar awakening. And she was an artist before that. And she was like, I'm doing the same thing with this. It's the same thing. That is occurring in me when I engage with art and when I engage in therapy and, and supporting people and healing. And I'm hearing the same thing with you. You found different spaces throughout your entire life to engage in healing practices with others and to help people heal. It's definitely a life's calling, but to see like the awakening of the energetic um, in this in this space from like a healing modality where you can say acupuncture needles do this. To say, I can see and feel and realize, and she is so powerful and alive in all of us. And I'm tapped in and tuned into that. Like that to me is another level. It's beautiful. Yeah. I'm culturally sensitive. I'm resilient, right? And I've had a self-healing journey. Those things should be things that are just as valid, right? Mm. As as research in a sense, because not only am I an expert in my field, I'm also an expert in these things. You know what I mean? I I've, I've overcome challenges and now I'm a resilient human, right? Uh, I'm culturally sensitive by default, right? Because right. I grew up immigrant. I grew up the other, and I've had an intentional healing journey. So you're right. We're only able to talk about this because of the time we're in, right? When we're all kind of, okay, let's open our mind to other, like other realities or just other things that have worked that we've basically like shunned out. And as as a woman of color and as a Latina, that's also kind of like I couldn't just be outright, right? Like it's kind of like that saying, like if it's all white, it's all right. You both have heard that. I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yep. who says it, but yep. basically, like because there's white healers saying, "Hey, oh, um, yeah. like right. this works or that works," or like energy workers, like it's now I that they've set the stage where I don't have to be automatically dismissed because they. They've already established, okay, this, you know, this works. And here then I am, I'm like, yeah, this, I don't have to prove this works anymore. And I don't have to prove that then I can do it. Like I, I yeah. do it. They know? put a suit on it. So yeah. we can accept and so, it. <laughs> and so, you know, I feel like, I don't hope that wasn't insulting. No. Um, okay. Yeah. Not at all. So, but, but no, but that's like the, the real kind of like always like kind of feels like that in the sense, like somebody has to prove it. And, and it usually has to be, it has to be a white person, I guess, the way that I've perceived it to be able to say, Hey, this works. Then I can come on, on the stage. But I feel like, again, all those things are shifting now where that doesn't have to happen. Right. When Thank goodness. Like validity. Right. Wow. Right. And so that's why I love about what you guys are doing because it is the integration that is going to help most people, right? It's like being able 
to to not just go to your Western doctor, like go to the holistic healing. I mean, an acu you know acupuncture under that, and then that is like the best marriage, you know, of right. it all. Yeah. Right. So the things that are kind of like the edge of my personal thriving journey right now is I'm being challenged again to ensure that I actually have a self-care um, balance. And, and, I, and why I'm saying this is because, like I was mentioning at the beginning, there's so much grieving happening. And three weeks ago, I had a dear, dear friend of mine pass from COVID. And he was somebody that was really important to me. I met oh, him when sorry. I was first an organ. Oh, thank you. I was first an organizer with Chidla. And so he wasn't just a friend. He was like just one of the healthiest male figures I had ever encountered in my life. Wow. And just... So he was so intelligent and I would pass by his office almost every day and it, every day was something different. Like, hey, have you heard about like the Belgium worker strike? And I'm like, how do you have time to read about Belgium and strike right now? Like, like he was just like, and he's just like so loving and so giving. And, and you know how like people always say like really sweet things about people that have passed. But it's like, I'm not just saying that because he passed. Like I would have said all of this like in life if he was alive. And, and so... When he passed, it just like triggered like a lot of the grieving that I was already kind of helping hold for all my patient base. And if you look at my patient base, like, you know, it's a it's a lot of people. And it's not just because I talk to them. Like, I also I touch them. Right. Like I have to palpate sometimes to find the acupuncture point. And so there's always an energy exchange. And so really, like in the last days or even just beginning last week, I'm like, I really need to be serious about maintaining my self-care. And so I already have an herbal formula. So I started taking that more consistently in my own wellness center. Oh, I haven't even said that. I'm a yes. business owner of my own. <laughs> oh, that'll all be in the introduction. Athena, yeah, that'll Athena, <laughs> Athena, <laughs> Athena Acupuncture and Wellness Center. So I I um subleased to an acupuncturist there. So I'm like, I need to I'm gonna sign up for Tuesday to get treatment. So that's really like a big challenge again that how are you balancing when you're helping heal so many people? Like it really does pull energy away from you in, a, in a, for a good purpose, but there's ways to protect your energy. And then, uh, you know, now that there's COVID, I always come and take a shower before I didn't do that, but like a shower is really like also symbolic, right? Like the water cleansing. So that's one of the things I'm really like being forced to look at again, like, how how are you maintaining the balance of the energy you're giving to the energy you're replenishing? Oh, such a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. and it's a big thing because then what's the point? Like you're as healthy, you can only be as healthy as you are. That's how, you can't demand somebody else to be healthier. Like if you as a practitioner, and I feel like that's one of the like kind of very important things like that I value as a practitioner to myself, like I hold myself to a high standard. Like I can't be doing things. I can't be asking patients to do things that I don't do. You don't do. Right. And so it's been, that's kind of like what's on the, on the mm. chopping board for me. Like, okay, Hey, so what's up? And I guess the last, the last one would be kind of just really stepping into this role again of 
of being on the macro of being almost again in the public eye. I, after doing that for so long, I really went introverted, married, um, I had my child finished my master's and then started like practicing. So I, I was really kind of in an introvert, introverted space. And that was intentional. I wanted that. And now I feel like, the universe yeah. is like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> oh, another butterfly moment. Challenge. Yeah. That's a challenge because again, because it's like you're Latina, you do acupuncture. Does acupuncture even work? Is that a real thing? Like what you invested so much in that? So, like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so that's the challenge now. And also kind of being able to embody what I already know. And the embodiment is basically that all humans right now, we're basically midwives for like this new earth this new worldview this this new disposition that we're all being forced to become which is like you know loving and compassionate and understanding and so f- being able to accept that and also then just display that mm-hmm. that is one of the places that I'm okay like I'm getting pushed and I'm flowing with it and it's a beautiful thing but again like it could be you know uncomfortable but that so being able to be on the world stage again mm-hmm. as a healer absolutely you know? I love it I love it absolutely cuz yeah what I'm what I'm seeing with this is how you have gotten really in touch with how you're a conduit for this energy. So in your in your self-care, you know, if you see there's there's an input and an output, you have to have the same size input as you have as your output, mm-hmm. right? You know, exactly. and you've got to cultivate that own inner garden and maintain that energy so that you can give and you are a conduit and and you are the same thing on the macro level. You are a conduit for that energy for humanity. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. are telling young women all over that that look look yes this is and this is this is an identity right here yes i am a latina healer acupuncturist and 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 mother and sister mm-hmm. and daughter and all of these other things all at once you mm-hmm. know and exactly. and i am a part of bringing this this next paradigm mm-hmm. to the world and to humanity and it's going to happen energetically and you're like exactly. this link, this key. <laughs> so for you, this embracing of that is so beautiful. And it's like, I feel it from you. I hear it from you. You're in it. Yeah. And I just need to own it. Now. Own it. Own <laughs> it. Yeah. Step, own it. step into your truth. <laughs> I do want us to, to ask you to tell us what acupuncture needles do do. It's an important thing for our listeners who are still going to be like, okay, I want to go see a traditional Chinese medicine uh, practitioner. How do I do it? And, and how does it work? So I guess this is, this is two parts. Let's get really pragmatic. Maria, tell us how the needles work. And then, and I know you have a very simple explanation for it because you explained it to me beautifully. And then tell our, our listeners if they're not um, local to you, what should they look for in somebody? It's funny you say local. That's exactly what I would approach it as. Like if you're interested in seeing an acupuncturist, I would literally Google acupuncturist or acupuncture near me. And for example, if you're trying to go for your child or for, I don't know, menstruation or low back, you know, when you call them, you you could ask them, hey, you know, have you treated this before? Do you feel comfortable treating this before? And that's, you know, like kind of like everything else. Like I will look 
you know, talk to them, see if I knew their energy, but also like, you know, like Yelp and Google reviews. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Informative, even when I'm picking my acupuncture. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I think asking if they're comfortable with what you're trying to bring them mm-hmm. is a really important question. If they say yes, then, you know, there you go. If not, you know, go, go on to the next. Acupuncture is part of traditional Chinese medicine. And a traditional Chinese medicine is a comprehensive, complete medicine that can basically treat any and all diagnosis with acupuncture, herbs, qigong, tuina. And so it is a medicine that you can feel comfortable with because most most things you can bring up, we will know how to treat. And if we don't, we will let you know. But the acupuncture points themselves, you have like over 360 acupuncture points. And each acupuncture point has anywhere from like two to six functions. And the acupuncture points are anatomically identified in your body. So we use your anatomy, whether it's your tibia bone or your femur to identify the point. And we stimulate it with the needle or with Moxie Bastian, or with our finger. And the most beautiful part of it all, and this is what I tell my patients, is your body is a medicine, and I'm simply activating that medicine with the needle. Wow. It's awesome. I love it. Awesome. That was a beautifully succinct uh, description. And it's now a, like, I, I uh, over the last uh, year or two, I've come to understand psychotherapy in a new way and it's the same thing it's it's like the therapist does not have the answers they're within you and the therapist is there just to just to frame just to ask the right questions maybe yeah. it's it's a sort of uh interpersonal like verbal uh, pressure point that the but but it, <laughs> but it's but it's, it's like it's it is it is all within you all of all of the healing occurs within mm. you yeah yeah i love that exactly We are just about out of time. So we need to ask you our regular podcast questions. So these are three questions that we ask every single podcast guest. So Maria, if you could put a big post-it note on every parent's fridge tomorrow morning, what would it say? I would say, ensure your children are eating warm foods. Warm. That's what I would say. Like, all right. Give them some warm food. That sounds random, no. but it's not. It's like, like kids run hot. So they, they sometimes, or a lot of times want cold food. And again, like going back to the TCM part, like children, their middle jowl, their digestive system is not fully developed yet. So when we're putting a lot of cold, it could actually dampen the body. So that's why a lot of kids will experience like belly aches or not good digestion or constipation. Not such a cool, sexy one, but if I come up with a better one, I'll let you know. Okay. Last quote that changed the way you think or feel. Okay, so it's not a quote, but the last person that has changed how I think and feel has been the poet, Rupi Kaur. I don't know if that's how you say it. Oh, my God. She's and and her the book is called Milk and Honey. And the the short answer is, I guess, what person who writes quotes has changed your life is Rupi. And she's she's a, a contemporary poet. 
Oh, thank you so much for that recommendation. Yeah, awesome. We're going to check her out. Actually, her latest book is called Homebody. Like, okay. So, so anyway, so it really aligns with this whole piece around like your body is medicine. Yes. Beautiful. Awesome. Okay. The last one. Now, I just always have to contextualize this question because so for so many parents, especially in the era of COVID, you know, work from home and kids and the kids, you know, we're all just stuck together and we can feel like, oh, kids, oh my God, I'm exhausted. (laughs) But we want to have this last question here to celebrate kids. And so what is your favorite thing about kids? I love how raw they are. (laughs) (laughs) Honest, huh? Yeah. Like they'll tell me like, so for example, this young child that I told you about that I treated yesterday, I didn't trick him. He knew I was doing moxibustion and, and he would turn around periodically and be like, don't do that. That's mean, you know? So like, I just love that they're raw in their reactions, which I think <laughs> could be like the hard part. So that would be in the, that contempt, the patient, a practitioner. But what I love about kids overall is that they remind you to be a kid. Mm, yeah. Be present. Yeah. Like, like, why are you stressed right now about whatever you're stressed? Life is beautiful. Time. Let's play. Like, yeah. like, what's wrong with you? And then I'm like, oh, I have to do that. And then she's and she just looks at me perplexed. And I was like, well, I guess I don't have to do that. And then I have to do it. <laughs> <It's fun. laughs> like, I hope somebody does that. <laughs> yeah. So I love that children are raw. Keep and it real. I love that children remind you to be a child. Mm, I love it, you. Maria. That's thank awesome. you, Maria. Real quick before we mm-hmm. go, uh, if people want to, if they live in Southern California and they want to get a hold of you, uh, so they can find you at Athena Acupuncture dot me. Athena Acupuncture dot me. That's my website. Beautiful. And then my email is Athena Acupuncture at Gmail. Both A's. Beautiful. And your practice is in Whittier, correct? My practice is in Whittier. It's called the Athena Acupuncture Wellness Center. And then I practice with open mind modalities in Orange, California. Awesome, Maria. Mm, it pleasure. is so, yes. so good to see you. We have so much more to talk about too. So I'm really re- looking forward to the next time and yeah, the next time. We would the next love time. to have you back. For and sure. thank you for contributing to the Family Thrive. We're excited to be doing more and more with you. You're incredible. And thank you for including us in your journey. I love that the Family Thrive is integrating all these types of healing modalities. I think that's, what's going to change the way that we look at healing. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. Hey, thanks for listening to the family thrive podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, tell two friends and head on over to Apple podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts and give us a review. We're so grateful. You've chosen to join us on this family thrive journey. 